Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Tonight, I will be reading some fairy tales from The Sandman's Bedtime Stories by Abby Phillips Walker. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. The Blue Castle Once upon a time, in a far-off country, there lived a witch on top of a high mountain. And every year she came down into the country and appeared at the palace of the king and asked for a bag of gold. One night, 
when the king and his queen were making merry and having a big feast in honor of the birth of their little daughter, the Princess Lily. The old witch came to the palace and asked for her bag of gold. Tell her to be gone, said the king to his servant. I've used all the gold in the vaults for the feast. She will have to come next year. Now the old witch was very angry when she heard this message, and she hid in the grounds of the palace until all were asleep that night. And then she entered the palace and carried off the baby princess. The queen and the king were beside themselves with grief when they discovered their loss, and they offered big rewards for the return of their daughter, but she could not be found. Find the old witch who came here the night of the feast, said one of the king's wise men, and you will find the princess. They hunted far and near, but the witch could not be found, for when anyone attempted to climb the mountain where the old witch lived, the insects would become as thick as mist and clouds, and they could not see where to go. One after another gave up the attempt, and so after a while the king and queen mourned their daughters dead, and the old witch never came to the palace again. The queen and king never had any more children, and every day they grieved because there would be no one to reign after they were gone. One day, one of the king's wise men said to him, In a cave in the forest lives an ogre who has a wonderful horse. It is kept in a stable made of marble, and its stall is of gold, and it is fed on corn grown in a field of pearls. If we could get this horse, we might be able to climb the mountain where the old witch lives, and perhaps the princess is still alive. But how can we get this horse? asked the king. Ah, that is the hard part, answered the wise man. The enchanted creature can only be caught and mounted by one who can feed him with the magic corn, and it is said that anyone who tries to gather the corn from the field of pearls finds himself sinking and has to run for his life, so that only the ogre, who knows the magic words that keeps the pearls from drawing him down, can gather the corn. When the king heard this, he sent for all the princes in the land to come to his palace, and when they came, he told them he would give to the one who could catch and mount the ogre's enchanted horse his kingdom, if he could only find the lost Princess Lily, and she should become his wife. But all the princes were rich enough and did not care to take such a risk, especially as they had never seen the Princess Lily. Then the king sent out word to all the poor young men in his kingdom to come to him, and he made them the same offer. But one by one they turned away, and at last there was only a poor peasant youth left. I will try, your majesty, he said, but I will not marry the princess unless I can love her. And if she does not wish to marry me, I will not hold you to that part of the bargain either. But I will take the kingdom if I bring back your child. So that night, the peasant boy went to a fairy that lived in the woods and asked her to help him. You can only enter the field of magic corn by wearing the magic shoes belonging to the ogre, and he sleeps with them under his bed. They are tied to the big toe of his right foot by a silken thread and no one can cut it or break it without awakening the ogre. I will give you a feather, and if you are fortunate enough to enter his chamber without being caught, for he is well guarded by a dog with two heads, use this feather to tickle his left foot, 
and you can cut the silken thread without the ogre knowing it. This is all I can do to help you. The two-headed dog is not in my power to control. So the peasant took the magic feather, and that night he went to the ogre's castle in the woods and waited until he heard his snore, and then he took from his pocket two big bones. He opened the door to the castle, for the ogre was afraid of no one and did not lock his door at night. The two-headed dog growled and sprang toward the peasant, but he quickly thrust the bones in the mouth of each and that quieted them. The two heads began to eat, and while they were eating, the peasant crept softly into the room of the sleeping ogre and tickled his left foot, which was sticking out from under the bedclothes. The old ogre began to laugh, and he laughed so hard and loudly that no other sound could be heard, and the peasant had time to break the slender thread which was tied to the magic shoes with one hand, while he kept tickling the ogre's left foot with the feather held in the other hand. When he had the shoes under his arm, he crept softly away from the bed, leaving the ogre still laughing. The two-headed dog was still eating the bones, and the peasant went out and sat on the steps of the castle to put on the magic shoes. He had just drawn the shoes on when the two-headed dog finished the bones and set up a bark that the peasant thought at first was thunder. He ran to the field of pearls where grew the magic corn and was just pulling the airs when the ogre came dashing out of his castle, followed by the two-headed dog, with both mouths wide open and looking as though he would devour him. Out of the field ran the peasant, but not before the ogre had entered, and down went the ogre out of sight, the pearls closing over his head, for of course he forgot all about his shoes when he heard the two-headed dog bark, and anyway he thought they were tied to the big toe of his right foot. But though he was rid of the ogre, he was not of the two-headed dog, which ran after him, showing his two sets of big teeth and barking all the while. But the peasant was far ahead of the dog, so he reached the stable and fed the magic corn to the enchanted horse, who neighed in the most friendly manner and let the peasant mount him. He wore a bridle of gold and silver trimmed with rubies, and he was pure white with a saddle of purple velvet with gold and silver trimmings. He was a horse fit for a king to ride, and the poor peasant looked strangely out of place on his back. Just as the peasant rode into the yard of the castle, the two-headed dog dashed at the hind feet of the enchanted horse to bite him, but the horse kicked at him, and over he rolled. The peasant looked back to see what happened to the dog, but he was nowhere to be seen. In the place where he had lain was a big black-looking rock with a ragged-looking top, like a set of huge teeth. The peasant was rid of both his pursuers now, and he rode off toward the mountain where the king had told him the witch lived. Up the mountain dashed the enchanted white horse, as though he had wings instead of feet, and in a few minutes he had carried the peasant to the top. The peasant looked about him, expecting to see a cave, but to his surprise he saw only a grove of trees with something glistening through their leaves, which looked like a house. When he rode nearer to the grove, he saw a deep blue castle of glass without windows or doors, and inside he could see a girl spinning. She looked up as the shadow of the horse and rider fell on the glass castle, and her eyes grew big with surprise. But before the peasant could jump from the horse, an old woman came up through the floor of the house and tapped the girl on the head with her cane, and she turned into a mouse. 
The peasant was too astonished to move for a minute, but the laugh of the old woman brought him to his senses and he knew she must be the witch. Ha! You caught the horse, but you cannot bring back the princess until I will it, she screamed, and then disappeared through the floor. The peasant walked around the blue castle, but no door or window could he find, or any opening of any kind. He was leading the horse by his gold bridle when suddenly it lifted one of its front feet and struck the blue castle. Crash went the blue glass, and the peasant saw an opening large enough for him to enter. He was about to do so, leaving the enchanted horse outside, when he heard another crash. The enchanted horse was following him in. It had broken a place large enough for both of them to enter. The mouse was crouching in one corner of the room, and the peasant picked it up carefully and put it in his pocket. The horse went to the spot where the old witch had disappeared and tapped on the glass floor three times with one of his front feet, and up from the floor came the old witch. But this time, she was not laughing. She looked frightened and trembled, so she had to lean on her cane to keep from falling. The enchanted horse took her by the dress and shook her three times, and out from her pocket fell a black bean with a white spot on it. As it dropped, the old witch screamed and fell to the floor, and the horse picked up the bean and swallowed it. The peasant all this time was standing watching all the strange happenings, not daring to move for fear of breaking the spell and wondering what would happen next. As the horse swallowed the bean, he seemed to shrink away from sight, and a blue mist filled the room. When it cleared, the peasant beheld a handsome young man where the horse had stood, and where the witch had been was a deep hole. Did she fall into it? asked the peasant, not knowing what else to say. No. In that hole we will find the magic charm that will restore the princess to her own form, said the young man. The witch disappeared in the blue mist. Let us hurry and find the magic charm, he said, dropping into the hole, and the peasant followed him. There was a ladder down which they climbed, and down they went until it seemed that they would never reach the bottom. But at last their feet touched something firm and soft, and they stood in a beautiful room on a carpet of blue velvet. The room was hung with velvet the colour of sapphire, and the chairs were of burnished gold with velvet seats. A gold fountain played in the middle of the room, and the water fell into a basin of sapphire. This is a magic fountain, said the youth. You must throw the little mouse into it if you wish to bring back the princess. The peasant took from his pocket the trembling little mouse. It is frightened, he said. I hate to throw it into that deep water. Without replying, the youth grabbed the mouse from the peasant and threw it with force into the fountain, and it disappeared from sight. You've killed it, said the peasant, looking into the deep blue water with frightened eyes. Then he saw a head rise slowly from the bottom of the blue basin. Then it came above the water, and then a beautiful girl stepped from the fountain, her hair all wet and glistening. A soft warm breeze came through the windows, and soon her hair and clothes were dry and the peasant thought he had never seen anyone so beautiful as the princess. I am the prince who was changed into the horse for the ogre, said the youth, addressing the princess. I was stolen at the same time you were, and the ogre, who was the husband of the witch, took me, and the witch took you. But this youth has rescued us. 
for it was here that the magic bean was kept that restored me to my own form. And if it had not been for a fairy who came to me one night and told me the secret, I never should have regained my own form. All the time the prince was speaking, the peasant saw the princess looking at him with loving glance, and he knew the princess was not for him. And besides, he knew he would never be happy in a palace. They began to look about and found they were in a beautiful palace that the old witch had lived in. But now that she was gone for good, the peasant said he would take it as his reward and let the prince and princess return to her father. In the stables, they found beautiful white horses, and on one of them, the prince and princess rode away after making the peasant promise to come to their wedding and to dance with the bride. For we will never forget you, said the princess, and we must always be friends. The father and mother of the princess listened to the story the prince told, and then the queen said, I can't tell whether this is my lost child or not. Let me see your left shoulder. She bears her name on that shoulder, if she be our child. The princess bared her shoulder, and there the queen saw a tiny lily, which proved she was her child. The king gave a great feast in honor of his daughter's return, and the prince and princess were married, and the peasant danced to the wedding as he promised. The Enchanted Boat Once there was a king who had a very beautiful daughter, and when the queen died, the king married a woman who had a son named Tito, because he thought this new queen would be kind and good to the princess. But in this the king was greatly mistaken, for the queen thought only of her son and wished to make him king. She told the king that if he would make the princess marry Tito, that he need have no fear about the future of his kingdom, for he could be sure her son would make a good king. And a woman should not be queen and rule alone such a big kingdom as you possess, said the scheming queen. The king, who thought more of his daughter's happiness than anything in the world, called the princess and told her of his plan. Marry your stepmother's son, and all will be well with you, and I can die happy, he told to the princess. But the princess did not want to marry Tito, for she did not love him. And when she found that her father would not listen to her pleadings, but told her that very night she would wed Tito, the little princess ran out of the palace and threw herself face down on the grass and wept. When it came time for the wedding, she was nowhere to be found, and though the palace and the gardens were searched, it was all in vain. The princess had disappeared. What had happened was that while the princess was crying and bemoaning her sad lot, she heard a sound, and when she looked up, there was a lake she had never seen at the foot of the garden, and on it, a beautiful boat with a sail of silk the color of gold. There was no one in the boat, and the princess, forgetting her sorrow in her wonderment at this strange sight, ran down to the water's edge, where another surprise awaited her for the boat came sailing straight to the place where she stood. The princess stepped in, and away went the boat out over the blue water, and in a few minutes she was in a country she had never seen before. The little princess was not frightened, for she felt sure nothing worse could befall her than if she stayed at the palace and had to marry Tito, and while she was sorry to leave her father, 
she could not be happy with a man she did not love. The lake led to a river, along the banks of which were high hills and beautiful woods, and the princess was so lost in admiring the beauty of the scene, she did not notice they were approaching a castle until her boat sailed under a white marble bridge, which soon brought her at the steps which led into the garden of the castle. Here the strange boat stopped, and the princess knew she was expected to get out. She walked up the steps into a garden filled with pink and white roses, with a fountain of pearl and gold in the centre, which threw a perfumed spray all about, which filled the air with fragrance. There were no paths in the garden, for the grass was like green velvet, and yellow birds flittered among the small green trees and sang sweet songs. Through the roses and trees, the princess saw the entrance to the castle, and on the broad steps of marble and gold came a strange-looking creature, followed by more servants than the princess had ever seen in her father's palace. The princess did not feel at all afraid, although the strange-looking creature had the body of a beautiful leopard, while his head was that of the handsomest youth the princess had ever beheld. His hair was dark, and as he came nearer to her, the princess saw that his eyes were deep blue, the kindest eyes she had ever seen. He held out one huge paw toward her, and then withdrew it and said, I fear you will not care to take the paw of such a beast as I am, but I can assure you I will not harm you, princess. I am not afraid, said the princess, putting out her hand. But tell me how you know that I am a princess. After the leopard man had taken her hand, he led her up the steps, and as they walked along he told her that no one but a princess could have entered the boat. It had sailed for many a year in quest of the princess who would be willing to sail away in it, he told her, and as only a princess can help me, no one but a princess could get into the enchanted boat. When the princess and the leopard man entered the castle, he told her his strange story. He was a prince who had been changed by a witch into the shape she saw, and the only thing that could save him was a gold root which grew far up on a blue mountain peak. But that root must be brought to me by a princess and no one else, said the leopard man, so you see how impossible it is that I shall ever regain my own shape. If you will tell me where this blue mountain peak can be found, said the princess, I will undertake the task, for I do not wish to return to my father's palace, and I would like to help you. The enchanted boat will take you if you really wish to try, said the leopard man, but I fear it is a task you are far from fitted to undertake, for no one can go with you. That would break the spell. The princess, however, told him she would try and at once set out on the strange errand, the boat sailing along the river and then out into the open sea. By and by, the princess saw on the side of a high mountain, the top of which was blue, something growing which shone like gold, and she knew it must be the golden root for which she was seeking. The enchanted boat sailed close to the foot of the mountain and stopped, and the princess knew she was to get out, but how was she to reach the golden root? which grew far up on the mountain. The princess stepped out of the boat on the rocks and sat down to think what she could do, for to climb up the steep, smooth side of the mountain was out of the question. If only she could fly, she thought, she might reach it. Just then she heard a swishing sound, and looking up, 
she saw a big eagle coming toward her with a broken leg. The bird fell at her feet, and as so many strange things had already happened, the princess did not feel afraid of the big creature, for she felt sure that in some way he would help her. Oh, you poor hurt bird, she said, tearing off a piece of her dress to bind up its leg. Then, from a stream falling from the mountain, she brought in the hollow of her hand water for him to drink. At night, the princess took off her cloak and covered the eagle, while she huddled close to the mountain and behind a rock to keep the cold from herself. In the morning, she was surprised to find the eagle had flown away, but on the rocks was her cloak, and two feathers from the wings of the bird lay beside it. The princess put on her cloak and took up one of the feathers, and to her surprise, the hand that held the feather flew up over her head. She picked up the other feather with the other hand, and up she was carried, her cloak spreading out like a pair of wings. With the feathers, she guided herself until she alighted on the top of the blue-peaked mountain. She laid the feathers down and began to dig for the root, which the prince said was the only thing that could save him. When she had enough of the golden root, she again took the feathers, one in each hand, and flew down to the water where the enchanted boat, which had sailed away when she left it, now stood waiting. The feathers from the eagle she put carefully on the rocks, but the bird was nowhere to be seen, and knowing that it must have been a part of the magic plan to help her, the princess sailed away, feeling sure the eagle was safe and his broken leg quite well. When she reached the castle of the leopard man, he was on the steps to meet her, and without waiting to enter the castle, he took the golden root from her hand and tasted it. The leopard body disappeared, and there he stood before her, a tall, handsome youth whom any maiden, even a princess, would fall in love with. The princess told him her story, and the prince told her they would go at once to her father, and he would ask for her hand, for he had already asked for her heart and found that it was his. The enchanted boat took them back to the garden of the king, where they found that the queen, when she knew that her son had lost the chance of becoming king when the princess disappeared, had put the king in a dungeon under the palace, and she and her son had become the rulers of the kingdom. The prince quickly undid all this mischief by setting the king free, and when he found out how treacherous his queen really was, he sent her, with her son, away from the palace and told them never to return or they would both be put in prison. He was a kind-hearted king and gave them gold to care for them the rest of their days, and it did not take them long to leave the palace, you may be sure, for already the wedding feast was being made ready for the marriage of the princess and her prince. The enchanted boat now was not needed, and that with the lake disappeared. But when the princess set out with her husband to go to the castle, she found that it was within her father's kingdom that the prince had lived. At the end of the castle garden, where the prince and princess live, is a long stone seat, and at one end grows a bush of golden flowers, the like of which no one ever saw before, and at the other is the figure of a big eagle made of gold and bronze. But only the princess and her husband know what these things mean. Mother Turkey and her chicks. Mother Turkey believed in the old adage taught to her by her grandmother 
the early bird catches the worm. And every night when the sun set, she took her little chicks to the highest branch they could reach in an old apple tree and sang to them this lullaby. Close your eyes, my little turkey chicks. Hide your heads, don't peep. Mother knows the bogey fox's tricks, and she'll watch while you sleep. Mother Turkey had told them about the bogey fox that lived in a hole on the other side of the hill, and it did not need more than the mention of that name to make them obey. I do wish we could get just a look at him, said one chick, as his mother came to the end of the verse. I should not know him if I met him. Oh, yes, you would, replied his mother. He has a very long tail and a sharp nose and his teeth. Oh, dear me, she exclaimed as she flapped her wings at the thought of them. Will you wake us if he comes tonight? asked the other chick. I shall not need to do that, replied Mother Turkey. You will hear us talking. He is a very sly fellow and always very polite and says nice things. But you cover your heads. It is getting late. And she began to sing. Close your eyes, my little turkey chicks. Hide your heads. Don't peep. Mother knows the bogey fox's tricks, and she'll watch while you sleep. By the time Mother Turkey reached the end of the verse this time, all the chicks were fast asleep. Mother Turkey stretched out her wings once or twice and turned her head in all directions, and then she settled herself for a nap. The moon was shining brightly when she awoke, and she saw not far off what looked like a large black dog, walking cautiously toward the tree. Mother Turkey took another look and saw the bushy tail, and she perched herself more firmly on the limb and looked to see if her children were safe on there too, for she knew that the bogey fox had come to take one of her chicks back to his hole if he could. Good evening, Mr. Fox, she said, as the fox came near enough to hear her. I was sure that I knew your splendid figure. You certainly make a most remarkable picture in the moonlight. Mr. Fox was somewhat taken aback at this compliment, paid him in such a pleasant manner, for usually he was the one to make remarks, and the turkeys listened, not daring to move or speak. He recovered from his surprise by the time he was under the tree and said, You're most flattering, Mistress Turkey, and I can only return the compliment by telling you that you are a picture yourself in the moonlight sitting so stately on that limb. But if you would enjoy to the full extent this beautiful evening, you must come from the tree and take a walk over the hill. No doubt you are right, replied Mrs. Turkey, but I could not think of leaving my children alone. I should be very glad to take care of the little dares while you are gone, said Mr. Fox. And if you will have them come down beside me, I will tell them a story which I am sure will keep them interested until you return. By this time, the turkey chicks were awake and listening to what the fox was saying. He seemed so nice and polite that they quite forgot to be afraid. And when he spoke of telling them a story, one of them said, Oh, please do go, mother, and let him tell us a story. It will be very good if you will. You see, my dear madam, said the fox, the little dares are quite willing to stay with me. Do go and enjoy the moonlight. Mother Turkey looked at her children in a way that plainly said to them, Be quiet. And then she said to Mr. Fox, I appreciate your kind offer, 
and were my children well, should be very glad to leave them with you. But they have been sick and are so lean that I have to be very careful that they sleep and eat well, or they will not be fat by next Thanksgiving, and that would be a disgrace, you know. When the fox heard this, he was not so anxious to have the chicks come down, so he said, I know just how anxious you must feel, Mistress Turkey, and if you will come down here, where I can talk with you without being heard, I will tell you the very thing to give them to make them fat. If he cannot get the chicks, he will take me, thought Mrs. Turkey, but I am too old a bird to be caught even by this sly fellow. Mrs. Turkey did not reply to this last remark. She was thinking of a trap she saw her master set the day before. I wish you would walk around a little so my children can see what a beautiful bushy tail you have, she said. They have never seen so handsome a fellow as you are. Mr. Fox was very proud of his tail. So he walked out from the shade of the tree and strutted about. Tell him how handsome he is, whispered Mother Turkey to her chicks. Oh, isn't he handsome, said one. And another said, I wish we had such bushy tails instead of these straight feathers. While Mrs. Turkey said, You are quite the handsomest creature I've ever seen, and I have seen many in my time. By this time, the fox was so pleased with their admiration that he was ready to do anything to display his charms. So when Mrs. Turkey said, I wish you would run and show them how you can run and jump. He asked what he could jump on to show his nimbleness. The top of that hogshead would be a good place, said Mrs. Turkey, knowing well that the cask had no head and that it was nearly full of water. Away ran Mr. Fox, and splash he went into the hogshead. He tried to get out, but it was no use. The cask was too high, and then the farmer, hearing the noise, came out and soon put an end to Mr. Fox. The little turkey sat wide awake and trembling beside their mother, but when the turkey went into the house, she began to sing. Close your eyes, my little turkey chicks. Hide your heads, don't peep. Mother knows the bogey fox's tricks, and she'll watch while you sleep. And in a few minutes, all was quiet again in the yard. Good night.